0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand if you would, please. Luke 7. Again, last week we looked at verses 1 through 10 uh, at the Centurion with great faith. And we pick up. Where we're picking up is just after the centurion servant has been made whole. And so verse 11 says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier. And they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about, and the disciples of John showed him, of all these things. Thank you. You may be seated. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The first miracle in, this, uh, in Luke 7, the emphasis is on faith, on man's part. Uh, our part is to trust. And what God does is He gives us a, a, a clear picture. Of faith, even calling it great faith in verses one through ten. The emphasis on the second miracle is on grace. We don't really find uh, you, you don't find any record of the faith. I sit and wonder did the young man that died? was he already a believer? Uh, we know that uh, the Lord Jesus raised, we have the record of three resurrections in his earthly ministry. I would assume there were more, but we have the record of three. He raised Lazarus from the dead, his friend. He raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter, and this is the first one recorded. He raises this son of this widow, the widow of Nain. We don't know the son's name. We don't know her name. Nain, this is the only time in the Bible this city is ever mentioned. It's not, you're not going to find it. It's still a city today, existing in Israel to this very time. You can go and visit Nain if you wanted spelled N E I N now, AI N A I N here in our Bible. But the fact of the matter is this is a little town, a small place, uh kind of an insignificant uh place at the um, in in the region of Galilee. And so anyway, the point would be um this is almost an obscure passage uh, in that this miracle to my knowledge is not recorded in any of the other gospel accounts just here in Luke's. Uh but the fact of the matter is when you find it back to back with the the account of the centurion servant and the Lord Jesus saying, I've not found so great faith. No, not in all Israel. In reference to the centurion's faith, you cannot discount or cannot look past the fact the emphasis in the second miracle is on God's part. It's on his grace. Grace is God being kind and good and beneficial to us when we've done nothing to merit it. Now I say faith even in and of itself does not give you merit. Faith is saying, I believe God. I don't deserve it, but I'm willing to trust him anyway. In fact, it's his grace that makes him worthy of our trust, uh, the fact that he is willing to be good to us when we haven't earned it. When he comes into the the city of Nain, it's interesting to me because really I would catalog this if if I were from just a, a human standpoint. I would catalog the second miracle as a greater miracle than the first one. The first one, I may have mentioned this last week. The miracle of the centurion servant, he was sick and on ready to die. I think we can all agree raising someone who's on his way to the grave from the dead is a greater miracle than raising someone off of their sickbed. There are medical doctors today that can get you off your sick bed, but they can't pull you out of the grave when you've been dead for a couple of days. We all agree with that. The greater miracle is the second one, and yet we find nothing recorded about this woman's faith, nothing recorded about the young man who's raised from the dead. But what we do have is emphasized by the Spirit of God, Christ's part. And that's where our emphasis is going to be today is on what Jesus did in this miracle and pointing our attention what the, the goal is, what develops the kind of faith we find in Luke 7, 1 through 10 is a comprehension of the kind of grace you find in verses 11 on down. When you can see and understand the gracious God, the only right response is faith in Him. And so then, let me give you a few things out of this text this morning, and they're not necessarily in chronological order, but in the order I believe the Lord would have us look at this. The first thing we want to focus on in this text is the fact there was a grievous difficulty. If you're taking notes, you could write that down. It's Roman numeral. Number one, there is a grievous difficulty in this text, and it's, it's obviously the center point of this, this account that what, what is going on is here's a, here's a woman, and the story centers around her, and of course she is a widow. Uh, The centurion, having been a servant, we know this woman's a widow. You can assume and know with certainty from that the boy that died was fatherless. Uh, If that The Bible doesn't record if his being fatherless attributed to his death or not. I don't know. I just know the Lord Jesus is going to end up ministering to a widow woman and her fatherless son, just like you can find God doing in the Old Testament, and He's doing so by His grace. But we find a few things, again... I want to point out before we give you some subpoints about her and what made her difficulty so grievous, and we can understand this just reading the text. But we have to understand the Lord's going to do a miracle for this family. My question is, just like the centurion, what did this, did the centurion feel like he had or did that made him worthy of a miracle? Nothing. He said, "I am not." worthy so God's grace is alluded to in the first 10 verses and the centurion faith does not say I deserve no that's not faith that's self-confidence faith says what I deserve is for you to ignore me but what I'm asking for you is to be merciful and to give me something though I have not earned it I am not worthy of your time I'm not worthy of your attention it is further emphasized in this text the Lord's going to walk into a town do a miracle for a woman my question is why Why did Jesus raise this boy from the dead? What did these people do that made, that got the Lord's attention, that made him said, you know what, if there's anybody in Israel that's gonna get a favor today, it's that woman right there in name. She's the one. I mean, you know what? She has been faithfully, faithfully paying money to the synagogue now for this many years. It's high time she gets her a miracle. She's put in her time. She's, does the Bible say anything like that? Do we find anything this woman and her son did other than living life and losing her husband and losing her son that earned her the miracle of getting her son back? If she prayed and said, Oh God, be merciful and help me, that's not recorded. Again, that's not where our emphasis is, where the Spirit of God decided to emphasize. So we start with this grievous difficulty, and what happens is that's all we know about this woman. She is in the middle of a crisis in her life. We start with her past loss. The Bible said she was a widow. We don't know how long she was a widow. Uh, The the Bible does not say that. What we do know is she's a widow, meaning she had already lost her companion in life. She had already lost her husband. All she has left is this one and only son. That's how the Bible records that. says, verse 12, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. We know this as well. When Jesus tells the the, the man to rise, he calls him young man. This is not a very old man. So this is not, as we would assume, it must not be a very old woman. Sometimes parents get old and their children get old. Uh, I, I visit with some people and they're in their 80s, late 80s, maybe 90. They got children that are 70. They're both at the end of their life. Now, I'm not trying to pick on any of it. The Bible says three score and ten. Four score by reason of strength. Is that what the Bible says? Psalm 90. And so what happens, you might say, well, he just died before she did, but the Bible says he was a young man. So what does that have to do with the text? Well, her past loss had put her in a position that the only viable, caring family member she had left, as recorded in Scripture, was this one young man. This boy this young man, and you know as well as I do, uh, we did not, in this culture, that there was still the establishment of the fact that the man was the breadwinner, uh, that he was to care for his wife. There was law in place that if a, if a father died, that family members were to take up and care for uh, the, the widow. The, the nation was supposed to care for their widows, right? So there was not, if she loses her son, there's not only the horrendous emotional damage done, to her by losing the last living testament of her dead husband that she's got, she's also losing her provider, her earthly provider and protector. This woman now is going to be utterly alone, just going to be her, no one else. Now, she had a lot of people in town surrounding her, but I want us just to understand the kind of crisis because the Spirit of God takes time to tell us it was her one and only son, her husband's already dead, Uh, This is exactly what happened to Naomi when she was living in Moab. When Naomi left Moab in the book of Ruth, she left with a husband and two sons. When she gets over there, uh, her husband uh, Elimelech dies. And so she at least has her two boys left to care for her and to comfort her and provide for her. Well, then both of them get sick and they die. Well, at least Naomi had some daughters-in-law. She had a great daughter-in-law named Ruth. The Bible doesn't record this woman had anybody, just a young man. And now he's gone. So her past loss is seen. She's a widow. Her present loss is seen. Now her one and only son, a young man, dies. And that tells us about her future loss. She's lost her husband who would have provided for her protected her, uh, defended her against whatever might cause her damage, put a roof over her head, helped provide her a living, given her companionship and, and all those things. Now she's got her son, and at least she's got the future to look forward to when this young man gets married and he'll have children and I can help raise my grandchildren. You know what just happened this woman? Her life just got knocked out of her completely. You know what? What future does she have now? None. And you know what? Before Jesus walks into town, she has no hope. By the way, that's how so many people are living. You know what happens? At some point in time, everybody reaches this point in life. So I still have my mate and I still have my children. But i just realize there comes a point where we wake up and realize, but you can't keep those things. One of these days, either my wife will lose me or I'll lose her, or we'll lose our children or they'll lose us if the Lord doesn't return soon. Now, I understand that's not a fun thing to think about. The sad thing is death comes. When death comes, we think, Oh, that's unique to that person, that situation. Death comes to all of us. What happened is this happened in a succession in this woman's life that it's leaving her utterly desolate. It's leaving her destitute. It's leaving her without any caring person in her life, in her home. Her home is empty. Her future is empty. Her past is empty. Her present is empty. When it comes to earthly things, this world and this life had not treated her very well. And you know what? We as Americans sometimes, we get deceived. Because we have a good, decent health care system and things that kill people in third world countries, we can go and have an operation and live another 20 years before it kills us. <laughs> but it fools us because we think we're in control. It fools us because we get to thinking that this life is the end of all things. Here is a woman that was, if anything in her life, made her ready for a miracle. It was the circumstances of life. Many of us are not ready to receive a miracle from the Lord because we don't need him. If anybody needed Christ at this hour, this woman did. If you're living in such a way that you say, I don't need the Lord right now. I've got plenty of family. I've got we all need him. What happens is life circumstances many occur in the mercy of God to help us know we need him. On this day, if any woman needed a friend, it was her. If anybody needed someone to help her to restore what death had taken from her, death had robbed this woman of everything precious to her. Let me ask you something. You ladies, if you've lost your husband, but you got at least one son left, don't you think that would double your love, if not quadruple your love for your remaining son? Wouldn't it? Now, I don't have my husband to talk to but my son is sure willing to. I don't have my husband to cook for. I don't have my husband to prepare a home that he's ready to come home to and enjoy and relax in and rest in after a hard day's labor, but I got that boy. And can you not know that their lives revolved around each other? And now death robs her of him too. Well, you talk about an opportunity to get bitter. This life, we call it this life, do you know what it is? This life is measured by birth and by death. We have a certain period of time on this planet to walk in this body until this body either gets killed by some circumstance or wears out. But the fact is, there's no body in this room that's eternal. Every one of us, you're being morbid today, but every one of us is going to turn into dirt someday if the Lord Jesus doesn't come soon. Amen? Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. And so here's a woman... Her past loss has seen that she's a widow. Her present loss, she's lost her one and only son. Her future lost. in losing both of these men, she is in utter desolation. Many times we fight back, and, and rightfully so, naturally so. We want to avoid and prevent this kind of loss. There's not a person in this room who says, Oh, well, I hope I can start losing loved ones, so I'm ready for the Lord to help me. No. But how many of us know life is going to bring things that will break your heart? And we can say, how can I live a life that doesn't include and involve those? You have to go to heaven because it's not available on this earth. This earth is cursed by sin. And until the Lord Jesus gives us a new heaven and a new earth, what you and I have got to learn to do is not try to... You know what? Do you know what false religion does? It tries to create utopia on a sin-cursed earth. Newsflash. It's not going to happen. Every government that man has attempted has at some point failed at some level. I enjoy the government we have. I'm grateful for what system we've had and the freedoms it allows us. But I'm going to tell you, it's not perfect now, is it? You know why? Because it is not operated by perfect people. Sinners are involved. What happens? And you see, when Jesus came to earth, when he came the first time, he did not come and obliterate disease, did he? When he left this earth, was there still disease on earth? Was there still death on earth? Because it is those things. You tell me what would happen to mankind right now if God removed all disease, death, and heartache from us. You tell me what would happen to us. We would never think about God. Not ever. There are some people that haven't had a thought of, of God in so long they won't till the next funeral they go to. Until the next time they're locked up in jail. Then they'll think about God. Until you're born again, then He's in your heart and He reminds you He's there every day. But without that, you know what mankind would do? I'm not thankful for sin, but I sure am thankful for the effects of it. Hey, pastor, God's wise. You know what the effects of sin is supposed to do? The wages of sin is death. Death had smitten this woman's home, but it prepared her to meet the one who will conquer death. You know what? You and I don't appreciate the goodness and grace of God and the gifts of God in our life until we often don't have them. I was reading last night, old-time preacher from the 16th century, not really of our stripe, but he wrote a good message on on this miracle. And he pointed out, he said, how many of us have two good eyes and never thank God for them? How many of you have a mate today and you've not thanked God for your husband or wife today? If you have, praise the Lord for it. You've got children today and they're in good health. You have enough health to get up and get yourself dressed, come to church, hear the Bible preached. We have the ability to see that the sun is shining and enjoy its warmth. When do we thank God for it? The Bible says He's kind to the thankful and to the unthankful. You know how many people today are receiving gifts from God right now? They're breathing His air, walking on His earth, enjoying His creatures for their breakfast, lunch, and supper, and not even lifting their voice to say, Lord, thank you for sustaining me, because as long as He does, we don't care. We take it for granted. Eh? Pretty true, isn't it? But you know what? On this day, how thankful do you think this woman all of a sudden felt for the husband she used to have and the boy she used to have? Huh? I'm imagining pretty grateful at this moment. It's a sad thing that often we have to lose the gift of God to realize it was a gift from Him in the first place. When people, when people lose things through death that are precious to them, who do they get angry at? Then why didn't they thank Him when they had Him? No man today, won't darken the door of the church, cursing God say I don't believe in God anymore and he tells me he's mad at God because God took his wife I just do wonder without any unkindness to him did you thank God for that wife before she was taken I doubt it I doubt it my point is this this woman has a tragedy in her life and it's the only thing I can see recorded in scripture that had her prepared for this miracle you know what you may and I don't know lives this morning But I'll guarantee you this. I'm sure there's not a difficulty this grievous today in our our room or I would know about that. But I'm also sure of this. Every person in this room has some kind of difficulty in your life. Every person has something that reminds you you're living in a sin-cursed world. Something that gnaws at your soul. And if you don't, you you will. (laughs) Difficulties come. You You know what God's purpose in difficulty is? In our Bible Institute, my dad's been teaching a class on discouragement. And the last two weeks have been on God's purpose for affliction. You know why afflictions often come? Why God intends them and will allow them to come in our life? So we'll pay attention to Him. So we'll get our attention on Him. So we'll think about Him. So we'll respond to Him. So if you have some affliction in your life this morning, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, perhaps, just perhaps... The God of all heaven and earth is trying to get your attention so that He can pardon your sins and give you the salvation Christ purchased for you when He died on the cross. If you're saved here this morning and you're under some kind of of affliction or some kind of a difficulty, just be attentive to what the Lord is trying to do in your life. There's a woman we find, number one, there was a grievous difficulty. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. She is in despair. She is in uh, desolation. Certainly disappointed and filled with grief. Number two, we find a great deliverance. Verses 11 through 15, we'll just go ahead and read all those verses again. There's a great difficulty or a grievous difficulty, but you know what that sets the scene for? A great deliverance. Verse 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people... Once you get the picture, the miracle of the centurion servant has just taken place the day prior. It certainly has gotten some attention what Jesus did. Maybe both through the the greatness of the miracle, but perhaps also the greatness of the controversial statement he made, I've not found so great faith, no, not in all Israel. Either way, his disciples are with him, but there's also a great number of people. You say, why is this important? Well, I had to ask myself the same question over and over. The the text emphasizes there were much people. When she comes to the gate, there's a lot of people with her. So this crowd is growing. As Jesus goes along, he's got his disciples. He's got much people besides his disciples. Then he comes to the gate of the city of Nain. Here's the widow. And in the funeral procession, there's much people. What an opportunity to make a stump speech. I'm your next king. Uh, I feel so poorly for you. Madam, if ever in the future you need financial assistance, you write one of my disciples. They'll tell me and we'll see if we can't get you a little something. Judas, take down her name. We'll get back to her later. Isn't that the best we can do for each other? Treat her like, well, I'm so sorry, ma'am. You know, sometimes the best we can do is pretend, pretend that we have compassion. Pity is a cheap replacement for compassion. Pity says, boy, I feel bad for you. Have a nice life. (laughs) Compassion says, I feel what you're under. I will do what I can to relieve the burden of your soul. And then you do it. Pity is simply a feeling. Compassion produces action. The Lord has more than pity, but I want us to notice. It makes an emphasis. There were much people. Verse 12, now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, uh, 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 there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people, there it is again, of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. I don't want you to miss this, and I don't have this recorded necessarily as a point. My first point under this great deliverance is that the Lord came to where she was. You know, this woman, what is she consumed with? You know as well as I do what she's consumed with. She is consumed with burying her son. Here's how long he's been dead. They've got to get him in the ground before the body starts to decay. So I don't know how many days, but we know he's been dead for some point in time enough that they're sure he's dead. They're going to bury him. They've got him on the bier. It's not quite like a casket. As I looked it up, it's more like a. it was something to carry dead bodies on. We might call it a gurney. So they're carrying him to his burial uh, when these two crowds of people run into each other. So there's much people with her. They are not with her because they're excited about who she is. They're with her because of what death has done to her. The crowd is with Jesus because of the life He has to offer. Life and death are meeting at the gates of this city. You with me? Christ has just restored a man to life who is on the point of death and that got a crowd of people around Jesus. Here's a woman that are, she's surrounded by people who feel pity for her because of what death has done to her. Life and death are meeting in the same place. That's what happens, a collision. When your sin is encountered by the Savior, you know what happens? There's a collision of life and death. I can't help but think on a Sunday morning in a Bible-preaching church, life and death have collided. Some of you are here this morning because you know what Christ has done for you. You're excited about what He's going to do with you, and you just can't wait to see what He's going to tell you next. And some of you, maybe, are just on your way to your grave. Just waiting to pass out of this life, leave this miserable scene, and go on to hopefully whatever's next. Hopefully it's better. Here's a man who's dead, and the only thing he's got to look forward to is nothing. He's dead. He's going to the grave. Uh, the preacher I read likened the pallbearers to the Ten Commandments. You know what the Ten Commandments can do for you? They'll carry you right into hell is what they'll do for you. They're they bad. No, they're True. <laughs> The Ten Commandments prove you're a sinner. The Ten Commandments prove that you're not as righteous as God. The Ten Commandments are not your ten steps to heaven. They're your ten steps to hell. The pastor, that's what the Bible says. The law ministers death. You have no life without righteousness. Except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. You'll not, you're not enter the kingdom, Jesus said. There's not a person in this room as religious as the Pharisees and scribes. None of us. And yet they were still on their way to hell. You with me this morning? You know what church often is? It's a collision of life and death. You know who's going to win on this day? Life never wins, does it? say, oh, it does. I know somebody, they were in a car accident, they resuscitated them three times, and they brought them back to life. And I read their story. They died in 1982. I told you life never wins. Somebody said, I've been brought back this many times. Yeah, but you're not going to be brought back the last time. As though I'm going to skirt death. No, 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 no. Look it, nobody's going to skirt death. It is appointed unto man once to die. You and I have an appointment with death. Sometimes God says I'll postpone it. Hezekiah got his appointment postponed 15 years. But guess what he did? He kept his appointment. He kept his appointment. You and I have an appointment with death. The only way to overcome that appointment is through a person. You know what? Death destroyed this woman's past. Death had destroyed this woman's present. Death was going to destroy this woman's future. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that there are those who are held in bondage all their lifetime through fear of death. Who's winning? When we live our lives out of fear of dying, you tell me who's winning, death or life. Are you living your life today out of the fear of death or the assurance of life? You're living your life based on one of the two out of the fear of death and what it's going to do. Look, if all your heart and affections are wrapped up on earth, death can do nothing but rob you of everything that brings you happiness. Truth? I love my wife, but you know what? I know I could lose her in half a second. I don't even like saying those words, but it's a fact. I love the ten children God's given us. We have one in heaven, one who never made it to us through a miscarriage. Life, and then boom, death, that fast. Huh? My ten children that God's given to us, I love them dearly, but I know they could be gone that fast. I want my children to love me, but I want them to understand, you better not build your life depending on your dad. I lose my life like this, I would lose my mind like that. Boy, we can live in, oh, how do we live then? If you lose, Honestly, tell me, what do you have that you can't lose in 30 minutes? A mate, a child, a house, a car, a career. Did not COVID teach us anything? How quickly life can change? How quickly death can overcome life? This woman had had all her hopes built on a husband. No, that's gone. No more marriage. Well, at least I got my child. No, no more son. Death had robbed her of everything. Wouldn't it have been better for her at this time to be dead than living? If you don't think about hell, I don't know where she was in her relationship with the Lord before this. But sometimes life is more miserable than the concept of death. Death punishes and tortures the living. Those without Christ are tortured eternally. But I'm just telling you, you lose a loved one that went on to heaven, you're the one that suffers, not them. And so the point is death and life collided here. You see two crowds of people, one out of the anguish of death and one out of the the excitement and the joy of the life that was coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is when there's this huge crowd of people, the Lord puts his attention on what? The multitude? He did at times put his attention on the multitude. They're wandering as sheep without a shepherd. Here's what happened. He picks out the poorest person in that crowd. And he said, that's where my attention is right there. the the person in the deepest and greatest anguish in that entire multitude had his undivided attention. Should that not tell us of the greatness of our Savior? Honestly, if you and I had the kind of popularity he had at this time, you know what you do? The fear of death makes you say, I better capitalize on it. Fame is fleeting. And if I don't keep this crowd while I got them, I'll... Lose them. You only live once. What's the motivation behind that kind of thinking? I know I'm dying and I'm afraid that if I don't capitalize right now, I'm going to lose something because I'm going to die one of these days. I better get all I can while I can. It's The fear of death. Assurance of life says my greatest moments are coming after I leave here. Not now. Now, we all say we believe that. Most of us don't practically put it into much faith. We really don't act on that in faith. We, we often, when it boils down to, it, we let the natural reasoning prevail and we live for things present instead of things eternal. But the point is, life and death collided, but the Lord came to where she was. He, he did not say, send out a banner, I'm going to have a big meeting tomorrow for all the widows. No, he went, how many of us think he knew she was going to bury her son that day? Of course he did. He's the Lord God. And why he went to the city of Nain? Only one reason, to minister to this little widow. He went through the widow of Nain, that community, and he came where she was. You know what the Lord did? He came where we are. He didn't stay in heaven and tell us to come where we could not come. No, he came to us. The Bible says uh, that he thought it not robbery. In Philippians chapter 2, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, meaning he left heaven as the Son of God, God the Son, and became the Son of Man. Why? So that he could bring us life because of what death has done to us. With sin came death, for by one man sin entered into the world, and what by sin? Death by sin. So then death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. There's not a person in this room that's not touched by the prospect of death because of sin. But Christ came to conquer that. And so then we know that he came where she was. He considered her. The Bible says when he saw her. That term is many times throughout the Bible. He saw her and saw the anguish of her soul when he saw her, he had compassion. Now, I look at that from the human perspective and say, when his eyes fell on this woman, he had compassion. Could we not think of it from his divine perspective as well? How, when do you think God, her creator, saw her anguish? <laughs> Before it ever happened. Whether you look at it from Jesus the man or Jesus God, when he saw her, when he... Isn't it amazing that God would focus his attention on any of us? What is man that thou art mindful of him? I reminded my children the other day. Let's put ourselves in perspective. Let's, let's represent ourselves as a fraction of humanity. We are one eight billionth. We're nothing. Every person in this room, you're about one eight billionth. Doesn't that make you feel big? <laughs> let's just say we're, we were. every human represents an inch. Well, then every one of us is, you know, let's say all of humanity is one inch. We're one eight billionth of an inch. Let's say humanity is bigger than that. We're a foot. Ooh, we're one eight billionth of a foot. Can we even fathom how small one eight billionth is? Then why would God pay attention to us? Why would he fix his attention on this one woman? Is that a revelation of how great she was or how great he is? That the God who created her came and saw her. And not just saw her, he knew her need. I heard another great message this week by a man preaching out of 1 Peter, but it's so aligned with this text, it helped me get some grasp on how to approach and think about this text. How many of you have ever saw somebody in need and your heart broke for them? You ever wept with somebody else because of the grief they are going through? Meaning it wasn't your loved one that died, but you know what it means for them that that loved one died. It breaks your heart. You you meet somebody and they've got a tragedy in their family. Maybe some horrible sin has rocked their home and their life and your heart breaks and you see that and your heart and your mood with compassion. So we find he came where she was. He considered her. He saw her. The Bible says he had compassion on her. That's wonderful. How many of us know all of us can do that? All of us can see another human being our hearts melt. We can, we can put out the crowd. We can put out the noise. We can focus our attention on one person in need. And we can have compassion. We can do that. But you know what the difference between us and the Lord is? We can't do anything about something like this. You know what the first two words Jesus said to her were? Weep not. Can you imagine somebody coming to you? It's the funeral of your only living young son. And he's your only last hope left in this earth of having some a future, and somebody, some perfect stranger walks up, you realize there's somebody famous, there's somebody popular, and the first thing they say to you at the funeral of your last living relative is, don't cry. Sometimes the first words of God you don't make sense to you. He tells her not to weep. You know what you're supposed to, there is a, a, Lamentations 3 says, there's a time to weep. If there was a time to weep, this is it. But the Lord said, don't do it. Stop weeping. Why would he say that? Because he knows what he's going to do for her. He knows that his life is greater than her death. The righteousness of Christ gives life. The sinfulness of man brings death. And Christ came that his life might overcome our death. And he knows what he's going to do for her. You know what, you know what, you know what the Bible says to the Christian today? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, He says, Rejoice evermore. You're saying? Well, look, there's a time to weep, but we sorrow not as others which have no Hope. the so pastor, you preaching a funeral this morning? <laughs> no, but life is filled with things that are distressing. And you know what robs us of our joy? It's not our eternal prospects that make up, make, take our joy away, is it? It's not our hope of heaven that robs us of joy. It's not our hope of eternity in the very presence of God and street of gold and uh, mansions, not rooms, mansions in heaven and fathers. Ha- That's not what robs us of joy. You know what robs us of joy? The effects of sin in this life we would be reminded he has conquered sin and ultimately death. When he returns, he says, the last enemy, death, will be ultimately and finally. You realize when the Lord comes and gives us a new heaven and earth, there will be no more death. You'll never have to live in dread of losing a loved one again. Never again. You never have to live in dread of, I only have this much time to enjoy my children. I only have this much time to... I don't have this much time to invest in the things of God. I only have this much time to serve the Lord. One of the things that keeps me pressed in my spirit, like, I can't waste time. My days are numbered. say, Pastor, you're still young. But I'm not as young as I was. I'm going to die someday. And if I'm going to live for God, i got to do it now, not tomorrow. You gotta put off till tomorrow. Why? Because death is coming. I got a short period of time to raise my kids and preach the gospel and try to turn people to Christ and live for my Savior. But one day, no, 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 no. One day, they'll always say, you know what? Don't worry about it. We got tomorrow. And don't worry about it. We got all of eternity for fellowshipping with the Lord, for enjoying His goodness, for enjoying His people, but not now. But Christian, you need to be reminded this morning that he has put Satan under his feet. He bruised his head when he raised from the dead. And this woman today, under the grief of sin and death, is met by a Savior who was not so intimidated by death as all of us are. And so then, he came to where she was. He considered her. He had compassion on her. the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth, for you. I asked a man the day, I said, do you, do you believe God actually loves you personally? Some people, that's a hard question to answer because they judge that based on their circumstances. Ah, oh, kind of a rough life. We're I mean, not to judge the love of God based on how life is treating us. We're to judge the love of God based on what he did for us through Jesus Christ. Amen? The measure of God's love is Calvary's cross. And so then this morning he had compassion on her because he cared for her. But here's the thing. The preacher I heard earlier this week preaching along these lines, he said, you know what? His point's where the Lord knows. The Lord knows you and he knows your need. The Lord cares. But you know what? Let's, and I'll use his illustration. Let's say this morning you come in here and your face is long and you look discouraged and I said, what's wrong? You say, well... I just got diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Oh, well, that's too bad. And you know, this afternoon, me and the kids are going to have a birthday party. <laughs> I know, but what would my demeanor tell you and my disposition tell you? I don't care. There are people that... You know what? There are people around this widow, people following the Lord Jesus. They could see something was wrong, but you know what? They got a kingdom to build. They don't care about this widow. But the Lord knew what was going on with her. He cared. But how many have ever known... And cared for somebody, but knew you were powerless to help whatever caused their grief. When someone loses their mate, and you've never lost your mate, you're going to walk up and say, don't cry about it, it's okay. I wouldn't. Not wise. You know why we have to say, I am so sorry. I will pray for you. needs my talk to you call. I cannot imagine what you're going through. And that's as much as we can do. And it's never enough. Amen? No, it's never enough. But you know what God did? He dealt with the source of her grief. There was nobody in that entire crowd that had the power to deal with death. But he could say weep not because the reason she was weeping would be gone here in just a couple minutes. Truth? It's going to be gone. In just a few moments, I promise you, she won't, if, Sarah, if she's weeping, it won't be weeping for sorrow. So when he tells her, by the way, if the Lord tells you something, you know he knows what he's talking about. Best for us just say, I better be paying attention. If he said weep not, there's no reason to be weeping. There's a lot of people today that have fixed their hopes for the future on the stability of our nation. And today their hearts are filled with sorrow because the kingdom is crumbling. You go, I believe the Lord says weep not. I've already conquered all this. How many Christians today have lost their joy because death has more power over us than life? Are you with me this morning? He tells her weep not, so he had compassion on her because he cared for her. But here's the point. He was capable of helping her. I, one of the things the last couple of years has taught me, and the Lord just knows. He knows what we can handle. But, and I'll, I'll be transparent, but not, not too. I don't want to say too much because it could have the wrong intention. But the Lord has allowed some things to be brought into into, my, into this ministry this year, and even of recent days, problems that are profound. I'm not talking about problems in the church. I'm talking about people with problems. They're, we've had people calling and asking for help and situations that, to be quite frank, I, I've, it's a reflection of the world we're living in, but they're not simple situations. They're complex. And the wounds that have been caused by people's sin is deep, deep wounds. And there's a point where I realize the only thing I can do for you, give you a couple hours or a couple days or a couple weeks of time as it adds up, listen to you, pray for you, point you to Christ, but the solution for your problem in myself, I can't provide it. It's too deep, it's too difficult. I don't have power. You know what, today? You're a young person here. You're going to face temptations in this world. There is no system of checks and balances and protections that can deliver you from those. You know what it's going to take? The living Son of God. There comes a point where all of us, the only hope we have is the one hope we need to have. Hear me this morning, please. Jesus Christ in the gospel is not spiritual medicine to make you feel better for a time. It's not a dose on Sunday morning to take away the anguish of sin till next Sunday morning. It's a final answer. Christ is a rock. He doesn't change. He's the same today as He was the day He created the universe. He is the bread of life. He is satisfactory. He is the answer for your soul. He's not an answer. He's not a temporary solution. He's not a concept. He's not a fable. He's not a fairy tale. He's the living Son of God who's ready and able to forgive sinners, ready and able to sustain saints if we will just but let Him do what He's able to do. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church. We read of the miracles in the Bible and somehow the Jesus of the Bible is a figure of the past. No! He is present right now. Oh, that we could get a hold of the fact. He's living. Death has no power over Him. The world didn't do away with Jesus. They're trying to do away with Him again. They cannot. This world cannot rid itself of Jesus Christ. It cannot. He's life itself. Amen. And this widow of Nain realized this on this day when he came. He was capable of helping her. Look what he does in verse uh, 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the beer. And he comes up, oh, that's quite interesting. He comes up there, the, the procession is moving, and he just lays his hand on it. You know what happens? Everything stops. Now who in the world intrudes into a stranger's funeral and stops the funeral procession? It'd be like blocking off the hearse and parking your car. No, you know what he's saying? This is done. Not one step nearer the grave. Death is going to lose today. Eh? Death is going to lose today. And so he puts his hand on that. And I can only imagine how quiet it got. The funeral's moving. The stranger with an entourage shows up. He says, Madam, don't don't weep. Weep not. I can hear the gentleness in his tone. Lays that hand on that beer, that that coffin of a carrying device just to carry the dead is all it could do. That's, what, that's all false religion can do is bury dead people. Let the dead bury their dead. All false religion can do today is tell you how to have the best life possible until we put you in the grave someday. I have news for you. The gospel gives life, not death. We're not trying to tell you how to enjoy your journey to hell. We're trying to tell you how to get to heaven. Amen? Look at all the lost world can do today. And what most churches are full of is try to do this, it will make your life better. Try to do this, it will make your life better. They're building coffins to make you comfortable as you go to hell. Jesus comes along and says, No, I'll stop that process. He's conquered it. Sin brings death. Death brings us to hell. Christ brings righteousness and life and eternity in heaven with God. He put His hand on that, stopped everything, And people probably thought he was a nut because he said, young man, arise. You know what he did? When the voice of God says, get up, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get up. You know what's going to cause the resurrection of the just and the unjust? Read John chapter 5. The voice of the Son of God. When Jesus says to all of his sleeping saints, arise, we call it the rapture. Be like a trump. Boom! There we go. And then there'll be a resurrection and he'll say, Arise for the great white throne. You know what the dead are going to do? They're going to rise and they're going to come at his beck and call. We need to remember who's in charge today. Not Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ is on his throne. It doesn't look much like it. Looks can be deceiving. God's word is never wrong. Do you think it looked like God was on his throne for this woman on this day? Don't you think her day changed? It turned from a a mourning funeral to a rejoicing festivity. <laughs> what made the difference? She had life. And so he says, arise. And he conquered death in her life and in her home. 1 John 4, 4 and 5, 4. We read this morning and I'm almost done. We'll give you our last point in just a moment. 1 John 4, 4 and 1 John 5, 4. of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Verse 5, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. 1 John 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Verse 5, Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? You know what the world does? It keeps a grip on you, keeps your heart bent on things temporal. (laughs) Because everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, passes away. Everything that, look, when you're 35 years old, 30, 35 years old, and you're very important, you're very concerned about what people think about you, so you dress a certain way, you tidy yourself up a certain way, when you're 80, it ain't going to work. I see some 80-year-olds trying to look like they're 30. I wish they'd quit. <laughs> it just looks like Halloween. <laughs> I'm getting get in trouble, but it's just true. Then <laughs> well, no, stop it. If you're 40, don't try to look like you're 15. If you're 80, don't try to look like you're 30. Be what you are. The approaching death tells on all of us. Huh? It's true. Just a reminder of the truth. This place is temporal. You know what Christ will do for you? He'll unshackle you from death. It doesn't hold you anymore. You know, for the child of God, death is a little scary because we don't get to practice it. But someone who's been through it will take us by the hand and lead us all the way through. I don't think the child of God go, should go, I want to die. Well, we shouldn't want to die. It's natural to want to live. God put that in us. But the fear of death is not what controls us. On this day, do you think this woman ever thought about death the same again? Death robbed her of her son and Jesus Christ gave him back. Now death will rob you of sin and death will rob you of everything precious in this life. And the only person that can restore what death takes from you is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's true. Our final point, verse 16 and 17, a glorious demonstration. Verse 15, the Bible says, and he that was dead sat up he began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. What a scene. It's as though there's nobody else on the planet. There's this huge multitude, and Jesus gets his attention right on this poor widow woman who's lost her son. And he puts his hand down there, and it happened probably about this fast. He looked on her, saw compassion, puts his hand, stop. Young man, arise. <laughs> I just imagine, the boy sat up. He said, where am I? He began to speak. The Lord Jesus gave me his hand and said, Son, come off that deathbed. Let me take you back to your mama. You know what the Lord is? He's the restorer of life. You know, this applies spiritually. We're looking at a physical death, but you know what sin accomplishes in the heart and soul of a man? The Bible says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and sins, hath he quickened. You know what you are spiritually without Jesus Christ? Dead and on your bier, on your way to hell. And unless the Lord steps in, that's all. But He did step in, didn't He? He stepped into our world. And when He releases you, you're released. And this morning, sin robs and kills the soul well before it kills the body. But it's the Lord Jesus who restores life. The Bible says when this happened, when He took a dead person, someone who very clearly was on His way to the grave, raised Him up and restored Him and restored the relationship He had before What happened is, who got glory? Well, of course, God got glory. Let's read it, verse 16. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that, what's it say next? I love this phrase in the Bible. God hath visited His people. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. Verse 17. And this rumor, now rumor here doesn't mean how we use rumor. Webster's Dictionary describes rumor as it can be something that's circulated as fact without evidence or it also can be an established fact that becomes circulated. We don't always use it in the same context. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about and the disciples of John showed him of all these things. Now it's ironic because John is sitting in a prison cell discouraged. You could read on. John, the faithful believer that Jesus... You know what John's going to have happen? Death is going to take his head in a few days. See, I thought Jesus conquered death. He did. You tell me where John's today, living or dead. His body's decayed, but he's alive, alive and well. And the point would be that the Lord Jesus Christ would use this miracle and the disciples of John would use this miracle and say, you wouldn't believe what Jesus has done now. He actually raised somebody who was dead. There's a whole other message we might preach on John the Baptist. Well, if he's raising the dead, why am I in prison? God's wise and knows what he's doing, does he not? What I find here is when Jesus takes the dead and brings them to life, it brings glory. You know what we need today? We need some dead churches brought to life. We need dead souls brought to life. You You know what salvation does? It takes someone who's dead in their trespasses and sins and at the word of God they receive life and they're raised. You know what he's able to do? This boy sat up. He, what, what death took from him, Christ restored him. He was useless, no good for anybody but to cause corruption in the world. Salvation will make a person a new creature because it gives the dead life. And he raised him up and restored him. You see a number of things that are, are symbolic of salvation. the, The boy is able to move again. He's able to stand up. He's able to walk. He's able to function. He is able to be restored in a broken relationship that death had destroyed. The point is this, that when Jesus came to earth, God visited man. He visited Israel. He visited his people. But thank God he's visited us, Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. The question would be, is God able still to perform such miracles? today? let me ask you this. Which is the more difficult miracle, raising a dead body to life or raising a dead soul to life? Jesus said when he healed the man who had palsy, first he said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then he said, oh, and by the way, to prove that I forgave his sins, rise up and walk. Which was more important, the healing of his soul or the healing of his body? this morning, this miracle of his physical raising of the dead is to remind us he's able to raise the spiritually dead. He's able to give the dead. It's what's called being born. You know what this man happened? He had been born and come into this world once. Now it happened twice. He was born again. His mother got her boy the second time. When your loved one gets saved, you know what you do? You get him back. Sin takes them. They get saved. You get them back. And this morning, the whole purpose in the Lord visiting the widow... You know what it glorifies? It glorifies a merciful Savior. It glorifies a meek Savior, a humble Savior. Can such power and such meekness be in the same person at the same time? The power to raise the dead, but the meekness to focus on a widow when there's a multitude? That's Jesus Christ. What's the application to you? We've been preaching it all morning. He's not dead. He's living. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 will be concluded. John 20, 30 and 31. Let me say to you this morning, if you don't have assurance of your salvation, if you don't know that you are spiritually alive, eternal life is a gift and that's how you have to get it. You're not going to earn it. You're not going to work for it. You're not going to impress the Savior into imparting it to you. You're going to have to turn to Him and say, I am dead and only you can make me alive. Would you give me eternal life? I need it. If you're here this morning and you're saved, shouldn't this encourage our hearts this morning? Sin and death is not your master. Don't don't let death and the idea of, you know what, there's young people who thought, I only get to live once. I better enjoy some things. Look, at, if you're saved, you're going to live forever. So don't squander your eternal treasures on being a fool while you're on earth. <laughs> Amen? You see how the fear of death even gets a hold of Christians? Ah, this morning, that's not the case. We We serve the Son of God. John chapter 20 verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is, not was, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning on the authority of God's word, I can look at you in the eye and say you will never die. It's fact. You're just going to pass right here from this frame into the presence of your Savior. He that heareth my word and believeth on me hath everlasting life and is passed from death unto life. He shall never die but is passed from death. Did Jesus lie when he said we believe on him we shall never die? No. Don't think that when your physical body quits working you're going to die. You're just going to keep on living. Amen? Thank God we'll just be delivered from this mess and go on and live with him.